You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So we're continuing our series, Think on These Things, on Philippians, and today we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 3. So Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and you'll remember that Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. As we said uh, last week, there's a fair amount of cognitive dissonance in the Philippian letter. Because on the one hand, Paul's in prison. Things are tough for him. I mean, he's experiencing some food insecurity and some, some safety issues, right? Yet he's writing this an incredibly upbeat letter about how things are good. So he says this, it's at the end of uh, Philippians 3, beginning in verse 17. He writes, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. So, uh, as you are coming in today... Uh, we distributed these uh, green cards. Everybody get one? Oh, well, raise your hand, and we will bring you a green card, because we want you to have one. So, <clears throat> just, just curious, um, is there anyone here who has, like, a green card that enables them to be, uh, kind of work in the U.S.? Is anybody working in the United States with her? No, no? okay, you were just teasing me. <laughs> right, she, She's not even old enough to work. Yeah. Right. So, so a green card, at least in, in the U.S. anyway, is what you receive is if your nationality um, is from, if your citizenship is in another nation from somewhere else around the world, but you find yourself living and working in the U.S., uh, in order to do that legally, there's a process through which you go and you receive a green card. This one says, permanent resident of heaven. And the name is child of God. We sang that song earlier. I'm a child of God. Uh, current residence, earth. That's where we're living. Uh, and your CIS number. Uh, and then it says expiration, uh, never. That's nice. And then you can see your picture on there if you hold it at the right spot. <laughs> yeah. So if someone wants to move from having a green card to becoming a U.S. citizen, there's a process that you go through. And the process requires you to take a pretty extensive exam. Like, I don't know if you've ever looked that exam up, but it's not easy. It's not just kind of the basics. It's not something that I think your typical person that was actually born in the U.S. could probably pass unless they studied. So, like, I consider myself fairly well informed. Like, I, I was born in the U.S., I went to public school. 
it served me very well. My mom was a public school teacher, and I went to college and seminary, and, and I'm a little bit of a history buff. Like, I, I enjoy U.S. history, but I think I would have to study to actually pass that exam. And then having passed the exam, you then, it's kind of at the time you, uh, you're finalizing the process, and you're going to kind of relinquish your green card, and you're going to become a U.S. citizen. Uh, you take an oath. It's a naturalization oath of allegiance to the United States of America. And, and this is what it says. So just imagine you were born in Venezuela or Israel or Sri Lanka or Scotland or somewhere. And you've come to the U.S. and now you want to be a U.S. citizen. This is what you say the day you become a U.S. citizen. You say, I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been subject or citizen. That I, uh, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear with true faith and allegiance to do the same. That I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law. That I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law, and that, I will take, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. And then people cheer, yay, and they wave some flags, and they celebrate. I mean, people dress up for this occasion. It's, it's very ceremonial. And, you know, they've become a citizen of the U.S., and it's something to celebrate. You know, I find, I find that oath, though, uh, pretty amazing in some ways. I mean, it, there's a lot of faith in it, right? That I will bear true faith and allegiance and the kind of so help me God part. So <clears throat> tomorrow's Veterans Day. Uh, and if, if you served in the armed forces, I'd like for you to, to stand, if you would. Those of you who have served. I know there's several of you in the group. We can give them a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thanks so much. And so to serve in the U.S. Armed Forces, you don't have to be, have been born here, right? You can be a naturalized citizen and then still serve in the U.S. Armed Forces. That's, that's part of what the oath says. You take an oath that you would do such a thing, right? And then there's a lot of that, you know, that says, as required by law. I mean, I think it occurs three times in the oath, that we're doing these things as required by law. And so what's interesting about the passage that we read from Philippians is that Paul's kind of saying, we're not really citizens of this earth, that we are citizens of heaven who are currently living on earth, and that it begs us of certain kind of allegiances that our identity gets drawn in ways that are new or different. That it's not the law so much that tells us who we are as it is the law of God or the grace of God that tells us who we are. So, you know, I have a, our, both my in-laws and my parents are all deceased, but um, 
there was a time, right, that I had a mother that I was born to, coming from the Appalachia Mountains where I'm from, we call those relatives by blood. I don't know if you know that phrase, phraseology or not, right? But this is my cousin by blood, right? This is my aunt by blood. Yeah, um, I, you know, sounds kind of gross in a way, but what we meant is that we were kind of born into that family. But then there's another phrase that we use for folks that we marry into, right? And so I had a mother and I had a mother in law, meaning that it's by the law that we are related, right? So the law makes us related. So it's interesting, right, that we have those phrases that we talk about. But as Christians, it's neither my birth nor the law that ultimately defines who I am. It's the grace of God. I am a child of God, right? It's not my blood that matters so much as it is the blood of Christ. So Jesus shed his blood, and now I'm part of a new family. So Paul, in another letter, he'll write to the Romans, and he'll, he'll say that, that we have been adopted. But in the same passage, in chapter 8, he'll talk about our adoption as something that's still yet to take place. Right? He says that we will receive the spirit of adoption. So there seems to be this kind of already but not yet kind of process in the adoption. And so as Angela was saying earlier, you know, last year we adopted Cecily and Carly. And in those circles, right, um, families often celebrate certain days. So they'll celebrate like a gotcha day. Uh, that's the day that the child came to live with the family. And then they'll celebrate an adoption day. And that's the day that the judge has said legally that the child is now part of a new family. And our kids used to ask about that all the time. I mean, right off the bat, are you going to adopt us? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Got to go talk to your mother. <laughs> and then I found there's a better answer than that, right? I, I would say, well, it, you know, we, we have to wait to see what the judge says, right? The judge hasn't made a final decision. Like legally, we don't know if this is going to be a possibility, that things are still up in the air. So then they, they would ask, you know, periodically, have you talked to the judge? <laughs> has, the judge has the judge said anything yet, right? And so the day finally came around, it was August 22nd of last year, of 2018, and we went and we stood before a judge and we raised our hands and we swore by God that being not conjoled in any way. How, how, what was this phraseology again? Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. I think it actually used that same kind of language, right? And then, and then they were ours. And now we are a forever family. But this is exactly what I think, in a way, is happening in the world on a larger scale. We were all, we were, we were all born into a family, right? We were born into this earthly family, and we had all sorts of problems and brokenness, and we experienced all sorts of pain and suffering and estrangement. But we've come into this place. This is, uh, Oasis is now then kind of like a big foster family, right? And so 
If you think of your Christianity and your kind of coming to faith, whether you imagine that as your conversion or if you think of that in terms of your baptism, right? However you're kind of initiated into the community of faith, in a way, that's your gotcha day, right? You've come to be a part of a new family. And we'll even use that kind of phraseology. We'll call each other brother and sister. Yeah, maybe you don't know that. That's kind of older Christian language. But that, that used to be pretty common. Like if you go to a monastery and you run into a monk or two monks, one will call the other monk brother something, right? Brother so-and-so. So brother or sister is kind of common Christian parlance for just other people of the faith because we use the language of father to talk about God. We use the language of um, kind of a family of God. That's part of who we are. And so gotcha day was your initiation. You became a Christian. You got baptized. Yeah? So the, uh, the actual adoption day will happen at the judgment. Like this is not the end. We believe that even our own deaths is not the end of our story. That eventually there will be a resurrection. Paul talks about this too, particularly in his letter to the Corinthians. That those who die get resurrected and then they stand before a judge. The judge turns out to be none other than Jesus. And that when you stand before Jesus, when he's the judge, then he's going to say, he's going to hit his gavel. I mean, go with me here, right? He's going to hit his gavel and he's going to say, you have a new name. You've been adopted. This is your forever family, right? You've become a part of this. So that's what I think it means, right, to be a Christian. And that's what I think the church should be doing. We should be seeing everyone who's not a part of the church as those who are just born into a natural family and who are in the process of getting ready to be adopted by God, right? They're, they're just... They're in the system, but they need a foster home, right? They need a permanent home, which they'll receive kind of by God. The other metaphor that gets used here a bit is this idea of, of citizenship, right? That we are now citizens of heaven. And this is true, I believe. Uh, and that's why we gave you a green card, because we want you to think of yourselves ultimately as citizens of heaven, and as kind of aliens in this nation, or in any nation for that matter, right? Um, kind of, you know, Sting sang that song about being a, a legal alien, an Englishman in New York. Well, you're a legal alien. You're a Christian on planet Earth. But here's the kicker, that we aren't just on Earth, but that Earth is ultimately what God is saving, so sometimes uh, I'll hear the phrase that we are in the world, but not of the world. I, I want to flip that just a bit and say, we're not of the world, but we are in the world. Like in the world is where we're called to be. We're not called to be somewhere else. That's why we, that is why we are here. So we might be citizens of heaven currently on her, earth, but ultimately, the Christian belief about how things end is not that we get swooped up to go somewhere else, but that rather that heaven comes here. Like the final vision in the book of Revelation is not an ascension story. It's a descension story. The new Jerusalem is coming down. 
The kingdom of heaven is coming to earth. In Revelation 11, it says um, the final trumpet is blown, right? And the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God and his Christ. And um, what we see there is that <clears throat> heaven has come to earth. We sang about this as well. Sorry, I know there's a little static there. Hopefully I'm not making that. Um, we sing about this as, uh, as well when we sang the Our Father. Like when we pray the Lord's Prayer, listen to how it goes. Our Father who is in heaven, let your name be sanctified, right? Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done as in heaven, also on earth. So we are, we're imagining, right, that God's kingdom is fully established in heaven, that God's will is for, fully done in heaven. But there are ways in which, if we look around, it seems quite obvious that God's will is not always getting accomplished on earth. Like, like there's been some kind of delay. There's been some kind of disruption, right? It, as we talked about earlier, if we, have, if we have families that are experiencing kind of um, food insecurity, if we have uh, children that are experiencing abuse, if we have nations that are at war with one another, I mean, we can't imagine that that's God's perfect plan for the earth, right? That's, that's the brokenness that we find ourselves in. And, and I, don't, I don't need to come up with a lot of examples for you for you to understand that the world is broken, right? We just open our eyes and look around. The world is broken. But we don't think that's the end of the story, right? So we pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's the coming of that then that fulfills the promise, that fulfills our hope, that our, our citizenship, right, is, will remain of heaven. But our vision is that heaven will come to earth and God will make things right. Amen? So what do we do in the meantime, though? That's a tough one. I want to read to you another passage uh, out of kind of Paul's letters. One that I think often gets cited when it, we talk about this relationship between our citizenship in heaven and then how we live on earth. Uh, but one that I think uh, often gets kind of misappropriated. So let's take a look at this. This is in Romans 13. So Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he says this. Let, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been uh, instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you not wish um, to have? Do you wish to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath in the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. Amen? Oh, I didn't get a lot of amens on that one. 
For the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay what is due to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, and honor to whom honor is due. So sometimes I hear this, this passage of Scripture quoted as if to say, I always have to do what the government says. But I think that's, I think that's a problematic reading. Because do you know who, how Paul died? Paul was executed by the Roman Empire. And there seems like there's someone else in this Christian story that I know of that was also executed by the Roman Empire. What was that guy's name? Yeah, Jesus, right? Jesus was executed by the Romans. So what does it mean if Paul was executed by the Romans and Jesus was executed by the Romans? What would this passage mean? Like, for Paul, what, is, what does it mean? Like, who really has allegiance? And there's a couple of ways I think we can get at this that might be helpful. When Paul is saying the government uh, is, God is responsible for the government that we have, right? It's saying that the government has an authority above it, which is not something the Romans would have thought. The Romans would have thought that the government basically is God. Like, they actually argued that Caesar was divine, right? They called the Caesar the son of God. They called the birthday of the Caesar the gospel. They, they said that he brought the good news and this was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So in their expectation, the government was divine, that there, w- there, would not, there wasn't something the government could possibly answer to. It was the ultimate authority. By way of analogy, think of it like this. In the ancient world, it wasn't uncommon for people to worship the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, people worshiped the earth, yeah? So in the creation story in Genesis 1, there are six days of creation, right? The seventh day, God rested. Six days of active creation. And it, it's not until day four that the sun, moon, and stars are created which is a critique against the religion of the day, right? So we're not going to worship that which is created. And it didn't even get created till day four, right? So God took his time before he got around to that stuff. So those things that you might have worshipped, you're told, are not ultimate. There's something far above them. There's something that does deserve your worship, that does deserve your respect, but it's not the sun, moon, and stars. It's the creator of the sun, moon, and stars. And so when Paul's telling the Romans that the government is established by God, something that they're hearing is, wait a minute, there's something above the government? There's something above the Caesar? There's somebody who can tell the Caesar what to do? So Paul is not saying that, we all, that all laws work well because he's already said in Romans that the divine law, the law given by God, that evil took it and used it against us, right? That's Romans chapter seven. So if evil can take the divine law and use it for evil purposes, then how much more susceptible are human laws? That human laws can do harm. And our responsibility is to do what's right. It's to do what's good. Like, love is the arbitrator of our actions. 
And if we follow love, we can't go wrong. Like that's what tells us what to do. In fact, Paul says this in the very next verse. This is just picking right up where I stopped a second ago. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summoned up in this word, are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. So what happens when there's a law of the nation that if you end up loving your neighbor, it ends up breaking the law of the nation? Well, then we love the neighbor, right? We follow Jesus. We follow Paul. Well, the nation has the sword. Well, then so be it. If the, if the sword kills us, if we become martyrs, then we're like Paul and Jesus. Our allegiance is to God. The commandments of God can be summed up by this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's how it's done. So we love. And love is our rule. And by loving, we can fulfill every rule. So not only has he said this immediately after this passage about the government, which I think needs to be understood as God's the ultimate uh, uh, one that we should cast our allegiance to or give our allegiance to or our obedience to. But just before this passage, like the immediate paragraph before it, I think also speaks to this reality. It says this. This is Romans chapter 12. Let love be genuine Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with, every, with one another. Uh, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I know this is a bit countercultural. Right? We, we, we respond, right, in like ways. If we're punched, we punch back. If we're sued, we sue back. Right? We return in kind. 
But that is not what God is calling us to. God is calling us not only, you know, Jesus says this. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. And we think, well, yeah, we heard that. Like, that's, a, that's an important one, right? That means like the big, the top list, like number one, love God and love your neighbor. But Jesus says this, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, but I'm telling you to love your enemy. Like, I'm not even sure who my enemy is. Like, who would, who would my enemy be? I, I don't know that I have any. It's a pretty safe, comfortable life to be in, isn't it? All right, I'm talking about privilege. If you look up privilege in the dictionary, there's a picture of me. <laughs> I'm pretty privileged. I can't even think of an enemy. But I know this, that according to Jesus, I'm supposed to love them. And somehow Paul understands what that means is feed them. Give them, give them something to drink. Like, that's what we do. That's why we need these green cards. Because that is not a normal way of behaving in this world. But it is how citizens of heaven should behave. I wasn't going to tell this story, but real quickly, I'm going to, uh, I'll try and do this. There's this beautiful passage. You might be familiar with it. It comes out of 2 Kings. We're not going to read it, but I'll just summarize it for you. There's a king of a northern, this kingdom up north, north of Israel, king of uh, Aram. And he wants to attack the Israelites. And so he finds out where they are and he makes plans to go down there. And each time he shows up to where they had been, they're gone. And this happens like three times. So he calls his generals into his tent and he's like, uh, somebody's tipping off the Israelites and I don't know which one of you it is, but one of, the, one of your heads is going to roll out of this tent. Like, this ain't going to happen to me anymore. So one of the generals speaks up and says, King, calm down. It's not us. We're loyal. It's that prophet. It's the man of God living down in Dothan. He's the one that's tipping off the Israelites. He goes, all right, all right, all right. Well, we'll go to Dothan and we'll, we'll take him out. And then we'll be able to capture the Israelites. So they go down to Dothan. This is where Elisha lives. And they surround the city of Dothan. And Gehazi, uh, Elisha's employee, he kind of steps out and he looks around and he sees the, king, the, the armies of Aram, right? And he goes back in. He goes, hey, man, we're dead. It's been good working for you. But there's like an army out there. And Elisha prays for him. He says, go back and look again. And when he goes out, he looks around and he sees an army of angels. So the prophet prays a second time, but this time he prays for the foreign army. And as he prays for them, they go blind. And so now they're led from Dothan down to Samaria, the capital city of Israel, of the northern kingdom of the time. And when they get there, he prays a third time for them and they receive their sight, but this time they're surrounded by the Israelite army. Like the army they've been looking for, they found, except this isn't the way they wanted to find them, right? They're surrounded. And so the king of Israel does what all kings do. He looks at the prophet. He looks at Elisha and he says, Father, I didn't know they were Catholic back then, but anyway. Aha, <laughs> dad joke. He says, Father, what should I do? Kill them? Should I kill them? And the prophet says, 
kill them. No, you should feed them. They feed the foreign army and then send them home. And it says that the kingdom of Aram never attacked Israel again. What that Hebrew prophet saw, what he experienced, what he, what he did, was exactly later what Jesus would tell us to do when he says, love our enemies. And it's exactly what the apostle Paul would then tell us to do when he says, feed them. I'm getting ready to feed you. Not because you're my enemies. <laughs> because you're my brothers and sisters. I want you to come to the table today and I want you to see this table as the table of peace, the table of reconciliation. We were once far off, but Christ has brought us close. We once had enmity with God, but now we have fellowship with God. Jesus roamed around Galilee telling people, your sins are forgiven, let's have lunch. And then later, on the night before he came, he would come and break bread and bless it and pass wine and bless it. There is that oath that people take when they're naturalized to become citizens of the U.S. I've rewritten it. I've rewritten it and now it becomes an oath to those who will be citizens of heaven. I'm going to ask you to say it with me. We're going to put it on the screen for you. Are you ready? Let's take this oath together. Repeat with me. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the way of Jesus Christ against all foes, foreign and domestic. I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear peace on behalf of the way when called upon, that I will perform non-combatant service in the army of God, that I will perform work of kingdom importance under civilian direction, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. Welcome, citizens of heaven. God in heaven, we come to you not because we're rich, but because we're poor. Not because we're strong, but because we're weak. We come to you, God, loving you a little, but wanting to love you more. And we pray that you would take this meal, that it would nourish our bodies, that it would nourish our souls, and that we might live as faithful citizens of your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that it may come and be on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, 
and the presence of the Spirit. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.